When Abdu'l-Bahá was in this country in 1912, he took occasion more than once to emphasize the sacredness of the marriage bond and to illustrate by precept and example the attitude incumbent upon the Baha'is in its observance. The most notable of these occasions was the wedding ceremony on July 17, 1912, in which Harlan Ober and Grace Robarts were united by Abdu'l-Bahá himself in accordance with the law of Baha'u'lláh. Abdu'l-Bahá suggested that I should assist him by performing the necessary legal ceremony in order that all should be done in accordance with the law of the land. It is not an easy task to present to minds obsessed with the conception of this world and its affairs as complete in itself rather than as an anteroom to a larger, freer life, a scene in which the dominant note was eternity, the very atmosphere charged with an expansive freedom and tranquility. As my eyes took in that long, beautifully furnished room, speaking of all that related to our modern culture, yet holding within its walls representatives of Paris, Berlin, London, Tehran and Gom, Persia, Bombay, India, Baku, Russia, and Haifa, Palestine, quite a number of representatives of the black race, and about 100 of my own countrymen, a conviction was borne in upon me that I was taking part in a truly epic-making event. For here was, to all intents and purposes, a gathering of representatives of the whole world and of every degree of poverty and affluence, of culture and its lack, of every range of spiritual capacity. Here indeed the East and West were gathered together to witness a prefigurement, a symbol, a prognosis of a fundamental detail of the coming social order under the world plan of Baha'u'llah, the kingdom of God upon earth. After the simple wedding ceremony, and once the bride and groom had resumed their seats, Abdu'l-Bahá rose. His cream-colored abba fell in graceful folds to his feet, Upon his head he wore a tarbouche, or fez, of the same color, beneath which his long white hair fell almost to his shoulders. Most impressive of all were his eyes. Blue they were, but so changing with his mood. Now gentle and appealing, now commanding, now flashing with hidden fires, now holding a deep, tranquil, lambent repose, 
as though gazing upon scenes of glory far removed. He swept the room with a glance at once enfolding and abstracted. He raised his hands, palms upward, level with his waist, his eyes closed, and he chanted a prayer for the souls united by him and by me. By him that morning, according to the laws of the new world order, in which the spirit of man is to be trained to function harmoniously with its brief material environment. By me this evening, as the representative of the passing regime, in which ancient superstitions and outworn shibboleths often tinge the most sacred observances, yet which, being customary, are to be observed, lest offense be given to any soul. This prayer of Abdu'l-Bahá, chanted in tones to me unequaled in all experience, is the keenest of all my memories of that evening. Mellifluous is the nearest descriptive word, but how inadequate. He chanted in Persian, Glory be unto thee, O my God. Verily, this thy servant and this thy maidservant have gathered under the shadow of thy mercy, and they are united through thy favor and generosity. O Lord, assist them in this thy world and thy kingdom, and destine for them every good through thy bounty and grace. O Lord, confirm them in thy servitude and assist them in thy service. Suffer them to become the signs of thy name in thy world, and protect them through thy bestowals, which are inexhaustible in this world and the world to come. O Lord, they are supplicating the kingdom of thy mercifulness and invoking the realm of thy singleness. Verily, they are married in obedience to thy command. Cause them to become the signs of harmony and unity until the end of time. Verily, thou art the omnipotent, the omnipresent, and the Almighty. You're listening to the Journey West podcast, dedicated to following the travels of Abdu'l-Bahá in the West. The previous account of Grace Roberts and Harlan Ober's wedding came from Howard Colby Ives' book, Portals to Freedom. Grace Roberts volunteered to be Abdu'l-Bahá's servant during his stay in New York. It was her responsibility to clean, cook, and help host the numerous guests that came to visit him. She was described as being extremely thoughtful of others and always preferred them before herself. Harlan became a Baha'i in 1906 and lived in Boston. It was Abdu'l-Bahá that suggested the two get married, and through the help of Lua Getzinger, Grace and Harlan met. Though the two had only just met, they were all too pleased to obey the master and were soon engaged. It's a great story. For more details, I would suggest reading Earl Redmond's book, 
Al-Dubaha in their midst. Let's move now to our second podcast on the topic of party politic, read by Amgad. 23 July 1912. Talk at Hotel Victoria. Boston, Massachusetts. The Baha'is must not engage in political movements which lead to sedition. They must interest themselves in movements which conduce to law and order. In Persia at the present time, the Baha'is have no part in the revolutionary upheavals which have terminated in lawlessness and rebellion. Nevertheless, a Baha'i may hold a political office and be interested in politics of the right type. Ministers, state officials, and governor-generals in Persia are Baha'is, and there are many other Baha'is holding governmental positions. But nowhere throughout the world should the followers of Baha'u'llah be engaged in seditious movements. For example, if there should be an uprising here in America having for its purpose the establishment of a despotic government, the Baha'is should not be connected with it. The Baha'i cause covers all economic and social questions under the heading and ruling of its laws. The essence of the Baha'i spirit is that in order to establish a better social order and economic condition, there must be allegiance to the laws and principles of government. Under the laws which are to govern the world, the socialists may justly demand human rights, but without resort to force and violence. The governments will enact these laws, establishing just legislation and economics, in order that all humanity may enjoy a full measure of welfare and privilege. But this will always be according to legal protection and procedure. Without legislative administration, rights and demands fail, and the welfare of the commonwealth cannot be realized. Today, the method of demand is the strike and resort to force, which is manifestly wrong and destructive of human foundations. Rightful privilege and demand must be set forth in laws and regulations. While thousands are considering these questions, we have more essential purposes. The fundamentals of the whole economic condition are divine in nature and are associated with the world of the heart and spirit. This is fully explained in the Baha'i teaching, and without knowledge of its principles, no improvement in the economic state can be realized. The Baha'is will bring about this improvement and betterment, but not through sedition and appeal to physical force, not through warfare, but welfare. Hearts must be so cemented together, love must become so dominant, that the rich shall most willingly extend assistance to the poor and take steps to establish these economic adjustments permanently. If it is accomplished in this way, it will be most praiseworthy, because then it will be for the sake of God and in the pathway of His service. For example, it will be as if the rich inhabitants of a city should say, It is neither just nor lawful that we should possess great wealth while there is abject poverty in this community, and then willingly give their wealth to the poor, retaining only as much as will enable them to live comfortably. Strive, therefore, to create love in the hearts in order that they may become glowing and radiant. When that love is shining, it will permeate other hearts 
even as this electric light illumines its surroundings. When the love of God is established, everything else will be realized. This is the true foundation of all economics. Reflect upon it. Endeavor to become the cause of the attraction of souls rather than to enforce minds. Manifest true economics to the people. Show what love is, what kindness is, what true severance is, and generosity. This is the important thing for you to do. Act in accordance with the teachings of Baha'u'llah. All his books will be translated. Now is the time for you to live in accordance with his words. Let your deeds be the real translation of their meaning. Economic questions will not attract hearts. The love of God alone will attract them. Economic questions are most interesting, but the power which moves, controls, and attracts the hearts of men is the love of God. Now to our roundtable discussion. Hi, my name is Diana, and I'm a music teacher. Hi, my name is Haron, and I'm a school teacher. Hello, my name is Nathan, and I'm a software engineer. So while reading this uh, today, I was, I was thinking a bit about um, this concept of political movements, because it's something we see occurring over and over again throughout history. Um, and just thinking of this idea to just not, not engage in it at all. Um, and in some ways, the strength that takes because you, you have to, um, sometimes you, you make enemies by not agreeing with someone politically. Um, but at the end, how, how much more unity it creates in a society when we're not saying, I'm right and, and you're wrong. One of the phrases that really caught my attention was that Baha'is will bring about this improvement and betterment not through sedition and appeal to physical force, not through warfare, but welfare. That idea of making change through welfare is something I hadn't really considered before. It seemed to me that you made change and then welfare came, came about. But this idea of if you instead focus that you can actually achieve, achieve the change that you're trying to bring around through welfare rather than um, welfare being an end it's fascinating. It's, it's so interesting when uh, we talk about uh, politics. Most of the time, uh, many people usually think about the negative things because they usually see what is happening around the world, in, in the world of politics. But uh, to involve yourself in politics, it's not, it's not a crime, but it depends on how you are doing it. If you are doing it in the right way, then I don't think it's it's a problem. But the negative impacts that uh, people are, are seeing on the in the world because of, of of politics and the way people conduct themselves, that's what makes when someone talks about politics, you start thinking negatively about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but if we involve ourselves in the right politics then yes because it comes back to that idea of again saying 
I'm right or, or you're wrong when we speak about politics, but this concept at the end where he talks about that actually what we need to do is to make our focus creating a love in the hearts of others and how different that is than trying to win an argument and, and proving that I'm I'm right almost in an aggressive fashion, you know. I'm going to argue and, and put all these points forth that shows that I'm the correct one, but instead we're, um, what he says here is to uh, do quite the opposite, which is just create love in others um, and that this will lead to uh, better... Uh, better governments and a better economic system? My my take is that it even goes a bit further than that. Mm. Not just saying that love will create a better economic system, but that is actually the true foundation of even the system that we have today. Uh, that although modern, as far as I understand modern theory of economics, it's the purely rational individual doing everything to promote their their own best interest, that when you think about the basic basic economic unit is by and large a family, and the center of family is not, in many cases, rationality. In fact, hopefully, a family forms based on love. Mm. And so that, again, if we, if we see uh, economics as a bunch of sort of rational people trying to do what is right or putting forth arguments, then I don't know about you, but many of my my purchases, like when I buy gifts or things, they're not based on on rational things. They're based on emotional things. They're based on my love for the people around me that I want to I want to be able to share things with them. It's it's very true. What what is going to eliminate this uh, gap that we are seeing between the rich and the poor is people understanding the oneness of of humanity. And this one will come only if we try to plant the seed of love in everyone. So it's very true when the master talks about uh, the, the foundation of all uh, economics is the, what is in the heart and the soul of man. It's very true. When you come to this understanding, then that is the only effective way that is going to eliminate all these problems, including the, the widening gap between uh, poverty, the, the rich and the poor. Exactly. And he, he also says in the one part similar to what you were saying, Nathan, and it just kind of brought this to mind, um, he says that it has to, instead of us having um, conflicts, we should um, make um, welfare part of legislative administration and uh, put in in the in the law but then you see he goes on to say that the only way that really works though is then if you have the love so still we need to have that systemization of of using the law and and have that written down but then we also must have this this love which those two things go hand in hand I did love the I just the very end where it's economic questions will not attract hearts. Uh, it, I agree with that fully. I mean, I, I do enjoy talking about economics, but at the end of the day, what tends to attract me to, to other people or 
to um, what makes me really want to strive to better the world is not that I think everyone else will get a better income, but rather that they'll actually be doing better or be happier. Mm-hmm. That, again, the way that, the way that I understand it, um, money or trying to solve economic questions will should ideally be a means towards happiness rather, rather than sort of the goal itself or the, the desired end just to get more money. That's it for the podcast this week. If you'd like more information about Abdu'l-Bahá's travels in the West, visit our site, www.thejourneywest.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at The Journey West. Thanks, everyone. Bye.